Are you on the RCR mailing list? Never miss a beat of the news and hard-hitting stories you've come to know and love. Stay in the loop. Visit realitycheck.radio forward slash email. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Andrew Bridgen is the MP in the House of Commons for the constituency of North West Leicestershire, these days representing the Reclaim Party. He was previously a Conservative MP until he made a speech on COVID vaccines in the Commons in January of this year, and the Tories kicked him out. Overnight, New Zealand time, Andrew is hosting and organising what he calls a sovereignty event at the British Parliament. It has an all-star cast and Andrew Bridgen is with me now from his constituency in Leicestershire. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here on RCR. I tell you what, you've assembled some big hitters for your event uh, on uh, on Monday. Uh, what's What's been the background to the event and what do you hope to achieve? Well, I've spoken with all of these big hitters uh, at various events, mostly in Scandinavia over the last year. Um, 12 months. Um, so I'm, I know them all. And to be able to get them all to come to the mother of all parliaments and uh, speak in a committee room, I've invited all the members of the House of Commons, all the members of the House of Lords. And um, I've um, also invent, uh, invest, uh, invited the uh, the lobby, the, the journalists. So what's important now is that we, we get this message out to people who can make a difference. All right. So, so it, it's been about a year since I, I first spoke out on the vaccine harms. Um, I spoke out when the government, well, the MHRA, our medical regulator over here, supposedly uh, requested that they extend the jabs down to babies of six months. Um, I knew that I could uh, persuade even the most vaccine individual that there was no risk to those age groups. There's not, never been a, a healthy child of that age who's... Uh, died of COVID, but there is a risk from the vaccines themselves. And uh, although the government uh, really didn't like me giving that speech and pointing out about the vaccine harms, um, they they never authorised those uh, experimental vaccines for children of that age in in the UK who were healthy. So uh, that was a win anyway. Um, And I will tell your listeners that uh, before the Conservative Party threw me out after I've been a member since 1983 when I joined at university and I've been a... um, an MP for 14 years almost uh, in Northwest Leicestershire, a seat I took from the uh, Labour Party in 2010. Um, they basically told me in January before they gave me the ultimatum and threw me out that uh, they wanted to cover up the vaccine harms for 20 years, and I said that was unacceptable. Totally. So you've got for your event uh, Dr Pierre Corey, Robert Malone, Professor Angus Dalgleish, who's been very vocal just in the last week or so, Ryan Cole, another American, Steve Kirsch, uh, the serial entrepreneur, the, the high-tech entrepreneur who's been very vocal and made that presentation at uh, MIT Massachusetts Institute of Technology on Friday. And Peter McCullough is also coming in with uh, a recorded address. So what what uh, will these people Mike be... Mike Eden from Mike uh, Eden Pfizer is coming as well. Wow. So that seriously well, is an all-star former, cast. Uh, head of research at, at, at Pfizer. He's coming in as well, yes. Uh, so yep. this, this is uh, this is an all-star cast. And are, are each of them going to be speaking for a particular 
length of time and then what uh, Q&A after that and you hope that there's going to be a decent attendance from some of your colleagues and more importantly from the, the press gallery, from, from the lobby. Absolutely. Um, my colleagues are, over the last 12 months, I've given a number of speeches uh, which they're completely as, as being on the money as far as the science is concerned. And what's actually happened is that, as I know, if I got anything wrong in my uh, my facts, they'd, they'd jump on one fact that was wrong out of 100. Um, the fact is that the media have had to ignore my speeches, although they're on the record, and uh, because they couldn't they couldn't debunk the science that I was coming out. It, it's it's a quite a, an interesting uh, act that uh, many many years ago at university at Nottingham University, I, I actually studied biological sciences with biochemistry and specialised in uh, genetics, virology, and behaviour. So I do understand the science. I can read the papers. And I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable that uh, we will be proved right. It's just a matter of time. And I want it to be very, very quickly because, um, as I've said many times in the Chamber of the House of Commons, surely uh, we've sacrificed enough of our citizens on the uh, altar of ignorance and unfettered corporate greed to satisfy anybody. And uh, I think people now, um, certainly in the UK, I think 80% of people know there's something seriously wrong with these experimental mRNA vaccines. Do you think you're making any progress with your colleagues, Andrew? Yes. <clears throat> yes. I mean, um, obviously, they made an example of me, threw me out the party, uh, smeared me in the media, made all sorts of allegations against me of being a conspiracy theorist. <clears throat> and half of that was to punish me for daring to speak out against the narrative. Um, but half of it was to scare my colleagues, and they have scared my colleagues. I mean, I, I had colleagues come up to me who told me their vaccine harmed themselves and they're still not speaking out. Uh, one of my colleagues said he had two micro heart attacks after the second Pfizer. Another one's got heart uh, problems. One of them came to see me just before the summer recess in the UK in July and uh, told me that uh, her sister has um, took the Moderna booster and is paralysed from the neck down, but they still won't speak out. And that's deeply disappointing. Now, we know about this new data which has been highlighted uh, in New Zealand through a small political party called NZ Loyal, fronted by a woman called Liz Gunn. She had her, her uh, um, data manager from the Ministry of Health, we understand. He was uh, on the video. Steve Kirsch has also presented at MIT, as I mentioned before, with figures about excess death. Now, I understand that you've already reacted to these numbers and talked about it in the House. What happened, Andrew? Well, I've been speaking to uh, the New Zealand whistleblower for a couple of weeks. We've had the data. It's basically the whole of New Zealand's um, confidential government uh, uh, database that was set up to, I believe, pay the vaccinators. <clears throat> and it's got the name of the person who's vaccinated, the date of birth, what vaccines they've had, what batches, um, where they had the vaccine, the name of the vaccinator, and interestingly, the uh, date of death, if if applicable. Um, and from that, we can see that s some of the batches uh, of the vaccines rolled out in New Zealand, which are the same vaccines that we've had in the UK. Um, you know, thirty p thirty percent of the people are no longer with us who took the vaccines on a certain day. Um, some of it's twenty five percent. Obviously, some a lot less than that, but. Those are quite shocking. There are also clusters of of deaths on certain days that, you know, large numbers of people 
who took the vaccine at the same time, again, are no, no longer with us. Um, what we also can see from the data, and this has been analysed by HART, uh, a group of scientists who I work with in the UK, uh, Claire Craig and uh, Professor Norman Fenton head that up, that uh, unit up, that whenever you take the vaccine from the figures in uh, New Zealand, the, uh, the, the rate of mortality increases for the next five months after you've had your, your vaccine shot. And that's irrespective of what time of year you take the shot. Uh, you normally expect uh, mortality rates to rise during the winter, but that, that is over, overridden uh, by the time that you have the, the shot. And also, your, your chance of, more, of, of, of the relative mortality rate increases with every subsequent booster that you have. You can see that coming through the figures as well. Um, and Norman Fenton ran the numbers. Professor Norman Fenton, former head of the Turing Institute and um, St Mary's University in London, he ran all the numbers. And according to Norman Fenton, who's a, a statistician, the chances of the excess deaths in New Zealand not being down to the experimental vaccine is one in 100 billion to be a random event. One in 100 billion. So you'd have to vaccinate the whole population of the world 12 times to at random come up with the uh, excess death figures that we've seen in New Zealand and, then be, and the, for them to be nothing to do with the, the vaccines. Okay, so you've talked about this in the House of Commons. Are you absolutely rock yeah, solid I, I, certain? I bought, I bought these. I bought, I bought, yeah, I bought these figures up in business of the House questions to Penny Morden, the, uh, the the leader of the House. Um, I, I said that uh, it, it's whistleblower week in in the UK, and I said I was delighted it was whistleblower week because I'd been speaking for a few weeks with a whistleblower from New Zealand, and we'd got the uh, the five million um, confidential vaccine records. We'd anonymise them so that all the names were taken off so that they could be handled by scientists legally. So that there's no names in the data that we passed to the scientists and they'd run the numbers. And I gave her my conclusions or the conclusions of those data analysts as regard to the safety and efficacy of the, of the vaccines. <clears throat> and I called for an immediate statement from the government that we should immediately suspend the uh, experimental mRNA vaccines for an investigation and that it was clear that the uh, excess deaths in New Zealand were being caused by these experimental vaccines. They were being, it was the same thing that's causing the excess deaths we're seeing in, in the UK and around the world where populations have been heavily vaccinated. Um, unfortunately, the leader of the House um, rejected my calls for uh, suspension of the vaccines as they have every single debate I've, I've called um, and said that the data had been already debunked. Well, I mean, that's interesting because the, the data has never been issued yet. So um, I will be going in on Monday. That's when we've got the uh, presentation by the scientists and I'll hope to get in and get a point of order in and, and point out to the House that uh, I believe the Leader of the House, Penny Mont, may have uh, inadvertently misled the House by stating that the, uh, the, the data has been debunked because it's never been issued yet. Yes, and never been made public. Record. Yeah, Andrew, are you no. are you absolutely certain, absolutely rock solid certain about the source of this information of these numbers? You you know? Do you know who the whistleblower is? Because all we know him in this country is by the 
Orwellian name, uh, Winston Smith. We know what he looks like because he's been on a video which was uh, released yesterday, but his real name and his uh, actual identity and, and what his ranking and seniority was at the Ministry of Health has never been disclosed. Are you aware of who he is and, and uh, what his job was at the Ministry of Health? Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he. he uh, I've been speaking to him for a couple of weeks. He claims that he was his job was to set up a database, a manager database, to pay the people who were doing the vaccinations. Yes, and you know so what he is... had full oversight of, of, of all the vaccinations. Yeah, um, I, I know know him as, as Winston Smith, the same as uh, the same as he's uh, going as the name he's going under. Yeah, do you know whether or not he still works at the Ministry of Health as of um, yesterday when this video was released? <clears throat> I think if he does, he won't be working there for very long. No, um, <laughs> he did say that he was going to be sent sending a, a, a summary of, of his findings to his line managers, I guess when they received that email before he went public, I guess that was the last contact he will have with them for quite a while. Indeed. I mean, clearly, I think he's a very brave man, very mad man to speak out. Clearly, he's, uh, he's ended his career. But I think um, he's, he's done it for all the right reasons. And I think that, uh, that we need to protect him. Uh, we need to analyse all the data he's got. And I, and, and I think governments around the world have got this data and uh, it needs to be made public. If there's, if there's nothing to, uh, to hide, then make the data public. I mean, I know that the Office of National Statistics in the UK, and I, I, I gave this speech on the 20th of October, regarding to the UK excess deaths, that our, ex, our excess death figures are shocking, but they're clearly understated because what the Office of National Statistics are doing is that a lot of the uh, young people who are sadly um, dropping um, dropping down dead, often on the sports field or while taking exercise, they're, they're referring their cases to the coroner's court for investigation, and that's quite right. Deaths need to be looked at. But uh, because they're referred to the coroner's court, um, they're not going in the weekly deaths uh, figures. So the, the, the death figures um, published about three weeks behind time in the UK, we know that they're understated. Hart took the ONS to court and asked them to disclose how many uh, deaths are being referred to coroners and not appearing in the weekly uh, excess mortality figures, and uh, they refused to do so. But they did admit that the numbers were statistically significant. So... We're not having clarity. We're not having transparency. Um, I also believe that what they've actually done is overloaded the coroner's courts. Uh, they've not given them any extra resources. They've given them lots of cases to look at, which means it's probably going to be two or three years before uh, a decision is made on these um, on these deaths, um, and which keeps them out of the databases. Now, we have more clarity on, on older cohorts of people when we've got excess deaths in the over 85s um but the, a lot of those excess deaths are sort of hidden by the expected deaths at that sort of age that isn't true of the younger cohorts that are now being referred to the coroner's courts and not appearing in the figures but even saying that young men between the age of 15 and 19 we're, we're, we're basically having two excess deaths a day 
Staggering. Staggering. What about the UK's COVID inquiry? Is it likely to look at these numbers or is it more about the response to the, no, to the no, pandemic? No, the COVID inquiry is not even asking. The COVID inquiry is coming under a lot of criticism over here because as far as we're concerned, it's not even asking the right questions. It's not asking whether lockdowns were a good policy. Um, it's not asking about the safety and efficacy of the vaccines. It seems to be concluding that what we need to do is was locked down earlier and locked down harder, despite all the evidence from Sweden, who very bravely didn't adopt those WHO recommendations. Um, and also they had far better outcomes as regard to excess deaths and uh, the damage that they did to their economy, which also will lead to a great deal of human hardship and misery moving forward. What about the scope of the inquiry? Does the scope of the inquiry and the terms of reference allow things like vaccine safety and efficacy to be investigated? Uh, no, it's not. It's not really within their, their remit. They're, uh, they seem to be more interested in uh, in who said thirty words to someone under pressure in number ten, which uh, is all very interesting. That uh, we're not getting to the uh, the nub of the problem, and what we really need to know is. Is you know were were the uh, I mean my, I have my own views I think that the uh, the lockdowns were ineffective and deeply damaging especially to young people um, I mean you get locked down for a couple of years uh, if you're in your fifties like me it's uh, it's two percent of your life but I mean you know if 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 you if you're two it's it's half your life isn't it and that's a, a massive difference the masking there's no evidence at all in fact there's a lot of evidence now that wearing of masks. It was counterproductive. Again, also very, very harmful to young people and their, their speech development and mental well-being. We've got a, we've got a, a, over a million under 25s in the UK following the pandemic response. Now on waiting list for for mental health support. Um, that, that's how damaging these policies have been. And what we've got is governments around the world now looking to sign up to the WHO's post-pandemic accord or agreement, and I've never agreed to it, and neither of my constituents, um, and also the amendments to the international health regulations, which will basically give the WHO the ability to call a public health emergency of international concern for the risk of a human pathogen, an animal pathogen, or uh, or even an environment, a perceived environmental threat, take huge powers and, and lock us all down again um, and have mandates for forced experimental medication well you know the who themselves are unelected unaccountable they don't pay tax anywhere in the world and they've got diplomatic immunity i mean what could handing our democracy and accountability and control of our, our democracies over to this body i mean what could possibly go wrong indeed indeed well in new zealand we have a new government which you may have heard about and in fact uh, the day we record this interview the 1st of december friday the 1st of december uh, the New Zealand's the new New Zealand government sworn in only a week ago has put the uh, take up or the approval of those regulations on hold for the meantime while they have a look at them. So that's one small victory I, I, for I the really, New Zealand people. I, I really, I really appreciate what what your new New Zealand government are doing. They're doing they're doing great work. Of course, I mean, any any elected assembly that hands these powers over to the WHO, I mean, it's a dereliction of duty. It's a betrayal of the people that we serve uh, and our duty to protect their best interests and their rights. I mean, even the new uh, amended 
um, regulations, the international health regulations, all um, all notes for respect of human rights and human dignity are taken out of those regulations and replaced by a bland statement about we're going to treat everyone with equity. Well, quite honestly, uh, if, if if you treat everyone badly, that's equity, isn't it? And that's that's I don't want these people deciding whether my constituents uh, are locked in their houses and if they have to take mandatory medication. They're also talking about developing new vaccines in 100 days, circumventing all the trials and um, and authorising them to, to deal with future pandemics. Well, given our experience of the vaccine harms from the, uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, that's not something I'm going to be uh, supporting. Indeed, I'm going to be opposing it vigorously. And I'm very grateful for what uh, the New Zealand government's doing, because it doesn't matter where we break these people. Uh, we can break it here. I, I spoke to a load of African MPs on Zoom uh, in the week, trying to persuade them um, that this will be very, very bad for their countries. And uh, we've just got to break this. Um, and we've got to defund the WHO. They're actually... They're actually I think 80 odd percent of their funding now is is not from the uh, the member nations. It's from uh, external sources, and they have the ability to direct the policy of the WHO uh, based on, on on their donations. So it's basically if you've got enough money, you can you can influence the policies of the WHO. Um, people say it will be a one world government if, if we give them these powers. I mean, I think it has to be rather worse than that. I think it's going to be a, a sort of autocratic. Dictatorship, a Bill uh, Gates government, no less. Well, he's, he's been placed there by Bill Gates, a co an unholy coalition of Bill Gates' money and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, again, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. So what stage are we at then in the British Parliament with these IHR, these international health regulations? So uh, is the British Parliament, but, going, the Commons going to have a debate and is there any chance that they will not be approved by the British Parliament? Um, it'll be public pressure that deals with it. Um, we're only having a debate. The government, uh, well, none of the parties, the main parties in our parliament want to talk about lots of things. And the WHO uh, agreement, post-pandemic agreement and the amendments to the international health regulations are, are two of the things they don't want to talk about. But we do have a quirk in our parliament that if 100,000 people sign a petition, more than 100,000, they're duty bound to debate it. And we, we had a debate on the post-pandemic agreement when 156,000 signed a petition, and that was back in April. I took part in that debate. Uh, and we've now got one uh, with 116,000 um, uh, signatures on the international health regulation amendments. And that's going to be uh, mysteriously carried out. We're having a debate on the last day before, uh, the penultimate day before we break up for Christmas. So it's going to be the 18th of December. Um, but I'll be speaking that debate and it will go on Hansard, and and although the media won't cover it, I mean, some of the speeches I've given in our parliament have had 30 and 40 million views on social media around the world, so the world the word does get out. Yeah. There is huge interest from the public on these matters. 30 to 40 million viewers on social media, but uh, no more than just a handful of MPs, if any, actually, uh, in the Commons when you're speaking. Yes, but it goes on Hansard, and, uh, yeah, I mean... The public have wised up to this, so they're, they're getting... Um, when I gave my speech on excess deaths, which would take me 26 petitions to the Speaker to uh, to uh, 
to get that debate. So I've been asking since January. Every week we sat for a debate on excess deaths. I eventually got one uh, on the 20th of October. Um, but the MPs who didn't turn up, they gave it me on a Friday afternoon, uh, which was sort of the, uh, the graveyard shift, the last debate of the week when everyone's gone home. But on average, MPs had uh, hundreds of emails from their constituents criticising them for not attending that important debate. And, um, you know, as we move towards a general election in the UK, uh, that pressure from the people is going to, uh, I think, become irresistible. That the government or the parliament is going to have to talk about the things they don't want to talk about, which is vaccine harms, excess deaths. Uh, I've also raised the issue of uh, the sexualisation of our children uh, with sexual education. That's all pushed by the WHO um, agenda, and also the uh, the forcing upon children of in the UK and around the world of this uh, trans ideology which is actually against the law in the UK because it's, it's, it's political indoctrination. It's not science. Um, I mean, you know, you can't teach children that men can be women and women can be men because that's just uh, <laughs> that's nonsense. Indeed, it's all very familiar stuff because we're having exactly the same arguments in this country. Maybe a new government is going to change direction. Uh, talking of new governments, you, as you say, have an election coming up soon, likely to be, what, May of uh, 2024. That'll be the, the five years. You started off as a Tory MP. Uh, you were kicked out of uh, the party earlier this year, now in the uh, Reclaim Party. What's your majority in North West Leicestershire, and are you confident of retaining your seat? Well, I took the seat. It was supposed to be a no-hope seat so when I stood in 2010, but I took the seat from Labour, and uh, at the last election in 2019... I did lead, I'd led the, uh, the Leave campaign to leave the European Union, which we were successful at the referendum in 2016. Um, so my majority, there were six candidates on the ballot paper. I got 63% of all the votes. Wow. So was Labour second? So a 20, a 20, a, a, Labour was second, so I got 63%. Labour got about, um, I think they got about 23%. So it's a, it's a whopping big majority. But since then, things have happened. Uh, how, do you, how do your constituents yeah. feel about you, do you think? Well, the response I get in the constituency is, is very, very good. Um, people, you know, before I was cancelled by the mainstream media, they did, uh, they did interview me and they said that, uh, why was I, a year ago, and said, why was I sacrificing my political career on, on the hill of vaccine homes. And I, I, I told the media, they didn't like it, but I told them, I said, because that's the hill they're killing my people on. So you're confident that you'll keep the seat next year? I mean, what, what, what sort of, uh, sort of organisation is the Reclaim feels, Party? It, 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 well, we're very well funded. Um, we've got, uh, I've got enough money in to, to run my campaign. I think you're right, it will be the 2nd of May will be, I think Rishi Sunak is going to cut and run. Uh, because if the wheels are coming off, uh, he could go round to uh, January 25 would be the long stop date for the election. But I think he's going to going to cut and run, and part of that is because he can't stop the, or he has no will to stop the boats coming across with the illegal migrants from from France. But I think he'd like to uh, have the election before the weather picks up and the Channel crossings increase again, because we've been having thousands coming across every day. 
Indeed. So, is and they're now ensconced in, in hotels, four star and five star hotels in the UK. Uh, they're going to the front of the uh, of the housing queue, the front of the health queue. If they come over with minors, they're going to the front of the education crew, uh, uh, queue in the UK. And of course, um, the indigenous population are not too keen on any of this. And I don't see any of any of those uh, ways of dealing with these people of, uh, of being any disincentive to them coming over. So when he inevitably loses the election, because the polls say that he will, uh, is the Tory party likely to swing back to the right? Is Sue, Sue Braverman a chance to be the leader? And uh, could you possibly get back into favour if she became the leader? Well, the party, for me, to, I mean, I've been asked many times over the last, uh, as, as people are waking up to what's actually being, has been done to the, the population in the UK and around the world and what is being done to them. Uh, as people are waking up, even in, in Parliament, you know, I've been asked many times over the last six months if I'd take the whip back if it, if it was offered. And uh, quite honestly, until the party accepts what I'm saying about those important issues, the vaccine harms, the excess death, the WHO treaties and the uh, sexualisation of inappropriate sexualisation of young children... Um, it's not a party I want to be in, and it's not going to win in government until it, again, until it uh, it gets its position on those issues uh, more in line with what the public are thinking. And I think the public are thinking is more in line with what I'm standing on. So I'm as confident as I can be, uh, but ultimately it could be down to my constituents in North West Leicestershire. I, I believe in democracy, and um, and it's going to be a very interesting fight, but I'm going to give it everything I've got because there's, there's so much at stake. Indeed. Uh, Andrew, can we talk about your other bill that you're, you're involved in, the Sovereignty Referendums Bill, a bill to prohibit ministers of the Crown from making or implementing any legal instrument which is not consistent with the sovereignty of the United Kingdom Parliament unless it's been approved by referendum and connected purposes and it's been proposed uh, through the 10-minute rule by Andrew Bridgen. What's the progress on that? Well, it, it got through. Um, it got through the House uh, to be made into a bill, but um, the government then carried out something called prorogation, which is a suspension of Parliament while we have a new session of Parliament. We had a King's speech with a new lot of bills brought forward. And what the government did effectively is... Uh, made a rule that any legislation that has not completed its passage through Parliament falls. Uh, so my bill uh, fell by the wayside. So I'd, I'd need to reintroduce it. And quite honestly, we haven't got time between now and May to, 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 to get that through. But it got a lot of publicity. What they also did at this prorogation, which was very interesting, is uh, we have obviously oral questions in the chamber. We also have the ability to write written questions to ministers there's, there's almost no limit on how many written questions you can put in. Um, the departments are normally obliged, but there's no obligation as such, but it's a moral obligation to respond in a timely manner. A lot of my questions have not been answered in the last session of Parliament, the written questions, and uh, the government decided they'd wipe the slate clean, so they basically wiped everybody's questions that hadn't been answered off the, off the board, and we had to re-enter them all again and we go it's like a game of snakes and ladders where you go you know you thought you, you were going to get to the end and then all of a sudden you're back down at the bottom again i'm afraid in our parliament currently there are 
there appears to be a lot of snakes and not many ladders. <laughs> yes. Is that democracy? I can't believe that, that written questions are just you know, thrown, thrown like, in the rubbish bin. Well, it's certainly not open and transparent democracy, and that—that that is why. I mean, this is a fight now. We're we're in a fight in New Zealand, Australia, America, Canada, Europe, the UK. We're we're Scandinavia. We're 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 in a fight for democracy, and uh, I think we, we've taken it for granted for far too long. Um, certainly in the UK, we, we, people think it's 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 a right, and it could never be taken away. Well, democratic rights, freedoms, human rights are being under threat as they've never been before. And it's not it's not this time because of, you know, external forces outside of our country on our borders threatening to invade us and take over. It, it is from the, the moral decay and the corruption of our own institutions, and that's got to be turned around now. Andrew, let's just uh, finish up by talking again about your event, uh, Monday night, New Zealand time. Uh, saveoursovereignty.co.uk is the website for it, uh, with this all-star cast of David Martin, Pierre Corey, Robert Malone, uh, Angus Dalgleish, Ryan Cole, Steve Kirsch, uh, Mike Yeland, uh, and a recorded address by Peter McCullough. So will this be streamed worldwide, Andrew, including the uh, Q&A session afterwards? Well, the title of the event is, is, um, is, is Truth, Freedom and Democracy, which I think we're going to try and enjoy that while we still can. Um, the House of Commons, I did have the biggest committee room for this. So I had a, I had seating for 120, the biggest committee room. It, that was going to, it was going to be uh, in there. A few days ago, they announced that they were moving us to a smaller room, one, one less than half the size. And uh, now they're saying that they don't want me to film it. Um, this is not open and transparent democracy. So even though you have a website, you don't know whether or not this event is going to be live streamed? It won't be live streamed. I'm uh, going to go and see the sergeant at arms and uh, explain to him that I'm, you know, he said that, uh, that the house don't want me to film it. But I'm going to film it. And uh, if they have to arrest me, I'll have to arrest me. You really must have ruffled a lot of feathers, Andrew. I cannot believe that an MP organising a function cannot have a camera in a committee room. I mean, what is wrong with British democracy that does not allow that to happen? That surely is depriving an MP of dispensing information, is it not? Um, I would suggest that they actually don't want people, the, 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 the public out there, to hear what we're going to be discussing and they don't want to give it the legitimacy of, of being carried out in Parliament. Um there's a lot of things going on. That there's um, there's a lot of a lot of actions being taken against me personally to try and discredit me. And in fact, they really would let me out of Parliament if they could. I, I mean, they, they would put me on a standards investigation for walking on the cracks in the pavement uh, currently. Um, I think the uh, the trouble is that I've raised a lot of issues in Parliament they didn't want to talk about, and no one else was talking about. And clearly, what happens then is that. Uh, People see the issue on social media and then they write emails to their MP and they have to engage on issues which I've mentioned which they don't want to talk about and they feel very uncomfortable. Um, well, that's that's the way democracy works, isn't it? Supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. Good luck then for the function. 
I hope it goes well. I hope that we can hear about it. In fact, I'm sure we will hear about it on, on your website and through various social media outlets. A pity we can't watch it live, but uh, best wishes and I hope that plenty of good stuff is put out there. And who knows, you might even crack the mainstream media. We, we might do, you never know. Um, and um, I'd ask your listeners in New Zealand to keep the faith and keep fighting for democracy, truth and freedom. Absolute pleasure talking with you, Andrew Bridgen from Northwest Leicestershire. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me on. Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.